Good morning. <clears throat> the other night, uh, my four-year-old Cash, uh, he was doing this lovely thing called refusing to go to bed. Um, and so I was watching this TV show about some of the world's greatest bank heists. I know, like somewhat nerdy. And I was like, I, it just was on. So I was like, oh, let's check this out. So this one was narrated by Pierce Bronson. And I was like, I'm, I'm here for that too. He sounds pretty good. And uh, he's describing this vault. And inside of this vault has many different um, security safes and security boxes. And inside of those boxes is hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars in cash upon hundreds upon hundreds of pounds of precious diamonds and jewels and hundreds of special antiques as well. So you can imagine that this vault, this vault is one of the most secure vaults in the world. It's notoriously known to be one of the most secured vaults, if not the most secured vault in the world. With all of those things in it, they have top-of-the-line security that goes with it. Obviously, there's a top-secret number code that has to be entered to even get to a place where you can open the vault. But on top of that, after you put in the correct numbers, there's a special key that there is only one key made for this vault. And it's only the single one. There's no other backups or anything like that. It's just this key is made specifically for this vault. So after you put in the numbers, you have to have the key and you have to turn the key and open the, the lever at the same time for it to open. And then even after that, once you open the giant vault door, there is heat sensors, there are certain motion detectors, there are certain things inside of the vault that protect what is inside as well. Top line security. To the point that if the temperature rises 2.5 degrees or more inside of the vault, security is instantly notified and everything gets locked down. 2.5 degrees. The vault is kept at a certain temperature. If the temperature rises, if the alarms get triggered, you are just a duck sitting in the water. No hope. Top of the line, most secure vault in the world has layer after layer after layer of security to give the owners a sense of true security and peace that what is placed in this vault is safe and taken care of and there's nothing to worry about. Security. It's something that a lot of us long for. I mean, let's just be very honest too, right? Most of us probably would love to have some sense of job security, right? That's always beneficial. A lot of us would like to have security even in our relationships with the ones that we love. We desire security in our mindsets, our beliefs, security in every aspect of our life. For many of us, we carry around something in our pockets that in the past few years has tried to up its own security. Whether that be with a facial ID, whether that be with a thumbprint ID, whether it be with a certain code you have to enter to open the phone, the top line of cell phone carriers are trying to even up their own security to, to protect against frauds and hacks and everything in between. We all want security personally. I mean, that's why 
most of us, my guess is, is that if I walked out in the parking lot right now, most of your cars are locked. My car is locked. Maybe you're like me. I'm one of those not bright people who there's many times that my, there's stuff in my car that I just leave in there that I'm like, oh yeah, my wallet, that can stay in here. Oh yeah, things that like are important, yeah, that can stay in here. True story for the first two and a half years of Courtney and I's marriage, our marriage license sat. I wish I was joking. Our car had this little pop-up thing on the center and it sat right in there. Our marriage license, that's a pretty important document we came to find out. I, I was like, I just thought that was like something you just had. I didn't know what you really had to do with it. But it just sat in our car for like two and a half years. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Do I put it, that in a frame? Do I tuck it away somewhere, forget about it? So we just said, I'll oh, just throw it in the car. That's a good spot for it. And that's what we did. We all long for security. That's why we, we seek after secure things in life including our finances. And I want to talk about that today, of, of what does that mean and how does that look as we're in this series of In God We Trust. The question that I have for us today is where do you find your security in life? Where do you find your security in life? Where do I find my security in life? Is, it, is our security in the systems, the things that have been built by man to protect us and keep us secure? Is, is our security in the things of this world. If I had a dollar bill, it says right on there, like in God we trust. Is our security actually in the piece of paper or is it actually in those words printed on the paper, in God we trust? Where is a security? Do we really trust God when it comes to finances? Our world celebrates this idea that our goal is very simple in life. I've bought into it in some ways is is this idea of like, I would love to get to the place of being 65. I like to retire and to be very blunt and honest, go to a place that does not have that white stuff. I, to sit on a beach and take a nap in the sun in 85 degrees with the ocean rolling behind us and have more money in the bank that I know what to do with. That is this American dream of security. That is what we work for and long for, Right? But is that really a good idea of security? Like everything can be taken away in an instant, but that's what our world says. You are secure with the number in your bank account. You are secure with how much you have in this, in this account, or you're secure with how much maybe gold you have or whatever it might be. Where's our security truly found though? Because I believe that God desires our security to be found in him and only him. I truly believe that he teaches on that, that he, he talks about it, and he's very open about it. If you were to look at Luke 21 with me, this is the story we're going to kind of be hanging out in today. Luke 21, it's a short passage, a short story. Maybe some of us have found it and, and heard it before. Others of us, if we haven't heard it before, uh, it, it, this is a story as Jesus is talking about giving. He's talking about an offering. And so in Luke 21, 1 through 4, this is what it reads. <clears throat> so while Jesus is in the temple, 
He watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. You can hear the coins falling one by one, and, and you can make sure that they are doing it slowly so that everybody can hear and everybody sees them. I remember going as a little kid, my grandma handed me 50 cents and making sure everybody could hear those coins hit that pan, right? The rich people are going and they're dropping their gifts in the collection box. But then a poor widow came by and she dropped her two small coins. Don't miss these words. This is what Jesus says. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. They have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. This is a very dynamic story and a very dynamic teaching. Because what Jesus is essentially getting at here is the sphere of giving determines, in some ways, the value more than the actual amount. Your heart posture, the sphere of giving, determines even in some ways more the value of more than the value of the amount. The gift in his comment, Jesus, his comment on the gift of what she gives, what does it cost the giver? If we were to look at over here the, the widow the widow. She gave everything she had, is what Jesus said. She has given everything she has. It's a sacrificial giving that is coming from her heart. It's not out of guilt, and it's not out of show for her. It is out of sacrifice. She gave out of her heart, trusting and believing that God is God willing to follow even in her poverty. And if you were looking over here at the rich, it says they gave out of their surplus. Last week when we talked about the priority in our giving, essentially another way that I would have said it is they gave God a tip rather than their tithe. They had a surplus, so they were like, oh, I can give. And make sure you see me give. Make sure you applaud me for giving. Make sure everybody knows that I am one of the top givers. But here she is out of her poverty. Can you take a moment and remember back in the culture back then, she is not only a woman, but it says she is a widow. A widow. She has no husband. She's widowed. There's nobody to support her. Her value is drastically lowered on the, on the rings of life, so to say. There's a lot of times that in those cultures, she even could have been taken advantage of. In just the previous chapter in Luke 20, it says that there are even scribes who devour her house and take advantage of. So here she is giving out of her poverty everything she has. It's a pretty big sacrifice when you start to think about it. Because what she gave was also her only security, possibly. Financial security is, is what she's dropping into that pan. And she's challenging the mindset of, I will give when I have more. She has no more. She has nothing left. But yet she gives everything she has. 
Virtually nothing she gave. This means that no matter where you or I may be, that we can offer worship to God out of our heart and out of our giving. Even when we have nothing, he sees it and he's pleased with it. The short story, Jesus identifies a critical element in our conversations about giving. We often look at giving in terms of the proportionate amount. But Jesus cares more about the sacrifice involved. Last week, as we talked about even the, the tithe, which, which translates to tenth, I believe that Jesus is not so legalistic that he's saying, Kyle, you only gave 9.5% this, this week. Like, that's not good enough. I believe God is after our heart's desire to give out of sacrifice rather than comfort. So I think that when Jesus is talking, even in this story, yes, we are called and invited to participate with him in our giving. But he's not a legalistic type of God that says, but you didn't do it good enough. You didn't do it good enough. By highlighting the widow's offering, he's pointing out that money is one of the most common places that we put our security. Not just back then, but even today. It's one of the most common and exalted places that we put our security to the point where we even exalt money above God himself. He says that she gave more. She gave more. The amount was not more. The amount was very little. He's making a bigger statement than the actual physical amount here, though. The, the terminology used here is that she gave her leptons. Leptons. Leptons is the smallest form of Israelite currency equaling just a few minutes of labor. So here she is in poverty, widowed, nobody to take care of her, taken advantage of, and she gave all that she had, and all that she had was her leptons, which is a few minutes of labor. Do we understand the drastic sacrifice that she gave when we start to really peel back the layers of her giving in her heart and her posture. The character found placing her security, the widow in the Lord, is someone of the lowest rung of the Jewish ladder. And she gives sacrificially. She gives so sacrificially, possibly all that she has. All of her possible security given away for what? For what? A simple question that I've been finding myself asking this, this week is, what does it look like for us? What does it look like for us to live and give out of sacrifice rather than comfort? What does it look like for, for me, for you, for, for us even at home to, to give out of sacrifice rather than comfort? What does that do to our worlds, what does that do to even our, our journey in our faith? See, sacrificial giving says, I own nothing, but rather I steward your money, God, that you have given me. But comfort giving says, God, you can have what is more than what I need. You can have out of my surplus. Sacrificial giving is living with our hands wide open and not ever clinging on and closing our hands to the things of this world. But comfort giving is 
holding on to the things of this world, holding on to the things that we believe we deserve or we need, and then occasionally releasing little bit by little bit as a, oh, thanks, God, but you can't take all of this. Oh, this is okay. I can give you a little bit of this, but I'm still holding on to this. Sacrificial giving is, is understanding and stewarding with hands wide open, but comfort giving is we close our hands to the things that we think we know best how to steward and we know best how to handle in our lives. What stops us from living out of sacrifice? Our world is full of comparisons. I believe that's one of the biggest things that stops us. I truly believe that our world is full of comparisons. And what stops me from giving sacrificially compared to comfortably is if I give sacrificially, that might mean I might appear one way to people around me. But if I give out of comfort, I can decide how that's given, how that looks to others around me. I mean, Paul talks about it even in 2 Corinthians 8. It's not going to be on your screen, but he talks about this as he's talking to the church in Corinth and, and the Macedonians. And he says, there was one gift that was given out of sacrifice, one that was given out of comfort. God has asked many times, are you willing to give out a sacrifice or are you just going to give out comfort? And in this, in this letter, as he's talking to the church in Corinth, he's encouraging them. You were one of the first to give, he says. Finish this. Finish well. Give sacrificially. When we first came to you to give, you were very willing. You were one of the first. Don't lose that attitude. Quit comparing yourself. Quit looking to others. And instead, he also looks at the other church and he says, look at how they're giving out of sacrifice. Continue to do that. Continue to spur one another on. God has asked me personally, Kyle, are you giving out of comfort or are you giving out of sacrifice? Do you live a life that is sacrificial living or comfortable living? I'm going to be very honest with you. There are many times in my life that I would much rather be a comfortable liver. Right? I'd rather be living comfortably. Because it's easy, y'all. It's easy to live sacrificially. Man, that gets messy real quick. Question after question of God is asking, like, do I trust him enough in my life to give even when it doesn't make sense? God, I've already given. God, I've already sent my tithing. God, I've already done that. It doesn't make sense to give more. Why are you asking me to? Do I trust him enough to walk in that? Do I, can I trust him when my account says that I don't even have enough to pay the bills? Do I trust him as the provider and the sustainer in my life to give even when it doesn't make sense? Or will I trust him? Will I trust him when I have been blessed and I am living a little bit more comfortable to give with the same heart posture? We wrestle in this, in this security of where do we put, place it? Where do we place our security? Because when we put our security in the things of the world, they all fail, they all fade away, and they all dissolve. There's only one thing and one person who can offer an eternal security. And that is Jesus and only Jesus. The things of this world are things that break and they fall away easily. As Cash and I sat on that couch 
And as Courtney was like, Kyle, he needs to go to bed. I was like, I know, but we're about to see how they break in. Hold up. (laughs) They broke into the vault. And here's what was insane to me. I remember watching this. I was like, how are you going to break into this vault? Like, really? Like, I mean, we've all seen those movies, right? Like, they have all these drastic things, and they got all these special tools, and they they have the special drills and the special, you know, stethoscopes to listen to how many clicks. And then, you know, how do you beat the lasers? Well, you throw baby powder up, and then you do all these gymnastics. How did they get through this vault? We're all, Cash and I are asking ourselves as we're watching this, and he's like, Dad, we need popcorn. I'm like, I know, but Mom is not allowing us that popcorn right now because you're supposed to be in bed. But when you go to bed, I'm getting popcorn, right? How did they get through this? They did, defeated the lasers and the motion detectors because they understood what kind of motion detectors and lasers they were. And they understood that <clears throat> as the lasers rotated, if they timed it just right and slow enough, on a telescoping selfie stick, they put a styrofoam box. And if they stood slow and, and, and still enough, they could extend the styrofoam box slowly. And as it rotated and it glitched, there was, a, there was a one or two seconds where it turned off and then it came back on as it rotated. They could place it over the lasers. A styrofoam box that they picked up at the local gas station. But what about the heat sensors, Kyle? Like two Point some odd degrees. If it rises above that, everything goes. If you take your dollar store hairspray and you spray it over the heat sensors, it blocks it from reading the temperature accurately. What about that key, though? That's great. You can listen and get the clicks. That's all cool. But there's only one key. You're right. That key was hanging on a shoelace next to the vault. Hold up. Hold up. The most secure vault in the world. Lasers, heat sensors, special code, special key, synchronized timing, all of that is defeated by stuff that you can buy at your local dollar store. The criminals got away with hundreds upon hundreds of pounds of diamonds and jewels. Antiques were stuffed into backpacks. Millions upon millions of dollars were ripped out of boxes and thrown into pockets, into the bottom of their shoes, and backpacks. And they broke into the vault and got out all in under five minutes' time. The things of this world that we place security in all will fail us, fall away, and dissolve. So I know as we're sitting here and we're asking, like, okay, that's, that's awesome. So where do I find, I'm, yes, Jesus is my ultimate security. What does that look like? How do I find security in that? Like, I understand it. Kyle, I need money to buy food so that I can eat. I get it. I get it. So how do I trust them? How do I trust them? 
over everything else in this world. How do I trust him? Wednesday, I remember sitting, trying to figure out how to end this message. Because on Monday, myself and three of the other lead pastors of Zero Collective jumped in the car and drove down to uh, Kentucky. Many of us in the room might not even know what's been happening in Kentucky. Um, February 7th, February 7th, at around 10 a.m., a chapel service happened at Asbury University. Chapel came, they had a gospel choir in, chapel ended. But there's around like a couple of students that hung out afterwards. Just felt the need to just hang out and pray. As they're praying, the gospel choir just started to just mess around and, and sing some more. There were students who were sitting in class that just felt this prompting to literally get up and leave class and go back to chapel. So they did. February 7th, we'll start out maybe just a handful. More and more students kept coming back to the chapel. That chapel has continued on even into this morning. There are college students, Gen Z, that since February 7th have been pleading with, worshiping, praying, and finding freedom and deliverance in the name of Jesus and placing their security in him. It's not probably on your wood TV at 5 p.m. You're not going to see it on some of your mainstream stuff. Can I just share, though, that there are people who are driving from all over the nation to just walk into this auditorium to experience a radical move of God? That I, I just want to share with you, as, as we were there, there was a holy sense of just freedom to find true freedom in God. That security that I have even placed in things of this world are being stripped away. And God is refining it, saying, do you trust me enough in everything? Do you trust me enough with this? Have you trusted me with this? Where's our true security? Our true security, I, I saw it first place, is, is these 21-year-old kids laying face down on the floor for 25 minutes weeping as they're crying out to God, God, just give me your, your presence. God, give me more of you. God, give me, make me secure in who you say I am, not who the world says I am. We find true security in the name of Jesus and only in the name of Jesus. Anything else that offers us security in this world will fail us. It has time and time again. I can promise you it's not going to start not failing you now. But there is only one person, one God who has never failed. And he's not going to start. Over and over and over again, I've been trying to process those, those two days. We left on Monday and we came home Tuesday night. Trying to process what I heard God speak to me. Trying to process the, the visions that God gave 
trying to process the, the things I heard and experienced. I'm still wrestling with it. But over and over and over again, all I know is this, is that God desires us to lay down whatever is in our lives as our false sense of security and to live in his security, a life that is full of sacrifice for his kingdom and his will. What is God inviting you right here today to lay down that you have placed a false security in and embrace a life of sacrifice rather than comfort. God desires to strip back layer after layer after layer of the securities we've allowed in our lives. And many of us have, have tried to cling on to them for far too long. But God is calling his people to seek security and being a chosen one, a set-apart one. That a chosen child of God, a beloved child of God, not a child of this world. He's inviting us over and over to lay the weight of the world down and find our security in life found in him and only him. Security that was once found in our money, once found in our accounts or even our titles. Our titles. That was one thing that God really revealed even as I was sitting there on Monday night of how many times have we clung on to our titles our titles. The only title or name that we should cling on to is a beloved child of God. But how often does our world make us or try to make us cling on to our titles? And that's who you are. Our identity has to be found only in him and in his presence. And I just want to share that, that the moment that I was able to experience in, in Asbury is spreading across this nation. God is doing something incredible. People are hesitant to use the word revival. I say, Lord, bring it. Revive and awaken generations. Revive and awaken what was once dead or not breathing. Breathe new life into us. Breathe new hope into us. Breathe something fresh and something new. And as he's spreading that, I believe he desires to spread that into not just universities and, and, and schools, but I believe that he is trying to breathe and is willing to breathe and wanting to breathe new life, new hope, and new truth into each and every one of us if we would just simply come before him and say, I want to taste and I want to see. And we would just have to allow him to strip back layer after layer of our false sense of securities. To, to find what he wants in us. His presence is here today. It's inviting us to do exactly what hundreds, and I mean hundreds of college students were experiencing, business people were experiencing, pastors, kids, parents, grandparents, professors, university employees, we're all experiencing Asbury. His presence is here today inviting us to do the same. And so as we close today, as Josh comes up, <clears throat> I continually, continually feel this prompting of the Spirit. Continually feel him just saying, are you willing to be uncomfortable? 
Are you willing to lay down the things that you've held on to for far too long so that I can do something new in you? Are you open to having your hands open rather than closed around this world? This morning, here's what we're going to do. And, and I know there's people here in this room that this is going to be a stretch for some of us. And I'm okay with that. I know that there's people watching online that you may think, oh, this is not for me because I'm not in the sanctuary. Can I just share that I believe God wants us to lay down something this morning. I believe that God wants this front to become an altar where we lay down the things we've held on to. Our securities and our brokenness in our life, that this front becomes an altar where we physically come and you physically kneel or stand right up front here or sit in one of these front seats and you just allow God to do business with you. That maybe you've been carrying on to something that you've been holding on to a, a title or an account or chasing after something that this world offers you for your security. And God is stirring in you and prompting in you and moving you to a place today to say, I know my security has to be found in him and only him. And I need to lay it down today. This altar is going to be open. I would love, I would love the blessing to be able to play with, pray with you today. I would love to just be able to come and kneel at these moments, this, this step with you this morning and pray for you and with you. Because I also am laying down stuff that I've held on to for far too long. And if you're at home, maybe you're sitting in your living room right now and you're like, wow, that sounds really cool, Kyle. I wish I would have drove to church this morning. You are at church May your sofa right now, may the living room that you in, are in right now, would that became, become a holy altar as well? That you, as you are online right now, that you would lay it down. You would physically get up off your couch, turn around and kneel at your chair, kneel at your sofa, and let that be an holy altar this morning as well. We truly believe that God is moving in this place, but we know that he's moving in the homes, in the communities, in the neighborhoods as well. This morning, this place is just going to become a place of worship, a place of prayer. I just ask that if God is prompting you and moving you to physically get up, to change your posture, to walk up and kneel at the front, listen to that prompting. Maybe he's inviting you to get up and just kneel at your chair. Would you listen to that prompting? Maybe he's inviting you to get up and find somebody that you know in this church that you believe and you know is a prayer warrior. Would you go and find them? Whatever God's prompting you today, whatever you may feel you need deliverance from, maybe even healing from, would you follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit this morning? I want to invite you into this, into this moment together. God, we just come before you. In this moment, asking that you would just prompt us, that you would stir us, that you would move us. And as we are, are moved by you, Lord, that you would move us to a place that we would find you. We know that your spirit is here this morning, Lord. During these next songs, Lord, would you continue to meet us here? Continue to prompt us to change our posture, to find you, to 
to release the things of this world that we've held on to, release them and put them down and receive the security that we only can find in you. God, we give you ourselves as broken vessels and we ask that you would just make something beautiful out of what might be looked at as a great mess in our lives. You can make something beautiful out of that. And so God, we just lay it down. We lay down our pride, we lay down our ego, we lay down our, our titles, we lay down our accolades, we lay down everything. And we receive the word as you just put your hand over us and you whisper into us, Lord, that you love us, that we are a beloved child of God. Let us feel the warmth of your embrace. Let us hear your gentle whisper in our ears, Lord, as you draw near to us and we draw near to you. God, we are so thankful for who you are and what you are doing, Lord. Continue to stir, continue to move in this place and across these communities and these neighborhoods right now, Lord. We pray this in your name, a name that is above all other names. Amen.